All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, of course, joined by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And today is Literature Wednesday. We are breaking down one of my absolute favorite books, and hopefully now one of Jacob's absolute favorite books. This is Paradise Restored by David Chilton. Super exciting. Um, yeah, we were supposed to read several of the chapters this week, but really we're going to be just focusing on one of them because it was incredible and we think it needs extra focus. Um, but additionally, some of the other chapters may or may not have gotten completely read. It's been a crazy <laughs> week. Jacob has come down with something and um, stuff happened. So we're going to read as, as many chapters as we've read and um, break some of those down. Uh, we should also note there's a slight schedule change. Um, we put out a calendar. You know, we did plans. <laughs> um, there's a famous quote somewhere, I think, says, uh, make a plan. Um, stick to the plan. Um, expect the plan to go off the rails. Uh, ditch the plan. So we are ditching the plan. So the uh, the planned Friday episode for this week will now be next week. And uh, we will not be doing that this Friday, but next Friday. So that just means just means extra hype. It also means you're going to get two discussion topics in a row, which is kind of cool. Um, so buckle up for next week's discussion topic where we break down America's Poisoned Heart in the next chapter of that saga. So stay tuned for that. But uh, this week we're going to dive into what chapter was that again, Jake? Chapter two, right? Yes. Chapter two. In David on Chilton's in, book, Paradise. On uh, interpreting or prophecy. Yes, how to read prophecy. prophecy. How to read prophecy. Yeah. There we go. How to read very, very prophecy. interesting chapter. Yeah, and it's not what you expect. So, uh, before we do all that, though, we have to do what we always do. That's our verse of the week. It's our segment that comes up every single episode because we here at the Reformed Dissenters believe in putting the Bible above everything. So, the Bible should come first. And so we do that by creating a section every single episode where we break down a verse or passage of the week. And Wednesdays, every Wednesday, Jacob takes that for us. So what do you got for us? And hopefully I don't mess it up. Uh, if my voice gives out. Uh, yeah. This yeah, may be a shorter be episode issue. because we're going to get to uh, halfway through the episode. Jake's going to go. And I found it was interesting on page 43. We ended exactly. up. And then exactly. we're done. And that's and that's the end. So stay. And that's, <coughs> and that's ready it. Because as soon as I stop talking, the whole show's done. No. It's over. I mean, we've got <laughs> nothing else to say. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, our verses this week are, is, is John 15, 18 through 19. And those verses, that passage says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Again, that was John 15 verses 18 through 19. And this time I came prepared, unlike last week, um, which I was prepared last week. However, I'm prepared this time. Um, I want to focus on verse 19 um, and highlight that Christians are different from the world. Hopefully this is not news. This is not new news, but... I am shocked. <laughs> this is uh, blowing your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I think we'll just have to 
postpone the rest of the episode. I just got to process this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're, I, I'm, we're talking about, and the very first, uh, how verse 19 starts, it says, if you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. But also, I think connected with this is, um, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Uh, that brief phrase carries the idea that we are separate from the world. Um, as Bruce said on Monday, uh, that God's ethic or God's law or as Christians, um, we do not just have a Christian mindset. We have a way of living that is Christian. It is different. Mm. As Christians, we should be acting differently from how the worldly minded would act. Um, and I bring up another verse, First Peter 2, 9, which says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Specifically that out of darkness. He pulled you out. You were different from the darkness. And now you were the light. Um, but also holy means set apart. To be set apart. Holy. You are set apart. We are different. Um, so we have differences from the world. And we should. You should be able to tell who are the Christians when you're walking down the street. As Bruce would uh, talk about Moscow being that way. But yeah. <laughs> so... With that yep. said, we can move on to our to our rest of the episode. Yeah, excellent breakdown, Jacob. Thank you so much for putting all that uh, all that together. Um, and it's so much fun every week. We've been doing this for two years. Every week to dive into a passage and to get the same message, but to see it in two different ways. Um, it's just it's it's really incredible. All of the facets of God's word. And just everything you can derive from it. Um, and so that's this is one of our favorite segments because we get to read a passage and discuss it and learn about it every single episode. So we, we hope, uh, hope you enjoy that too. And if you have your own perspectives and, and your own things, maybe you've heard sermons on those passages and you're like, hey, I think you guys might have missed this. Or, oh, I didn't think about that. That's really cool. Send all your thoughts to trdshow at protonmail.com. You can email us there, trdshow at protonmail.com. And um, we always, always look forward to hearing from you. Um, we love it when we get emails. So send them, that, send them our way. Um, so chapter two is what we're mainly going to be honing in on because um, this is one of the things that sets apart post-millennialists from pre-millennialists. It's the biggest rift. It's the biggest difference. And it's the reason why we do, why we get to such completely different conclusions about several things, right? Lots of different things. It's not just what we believe the end times will look like. It's how we, how we believe we should live now. And this chapter on how to read prophecy changes so much. So the, the, basic pre, the basic premise, Chilton's basic premise through this whole chapter is that instead of trying to look at a prophecy as being strictly literal, completely literal in everything, mm -hmm. we need or, to understand it. Go ahead. Or even strictly symbolic. Yep. Yep. One of the two. Yep. Exactly. We need to understand it in terms of its context. And in order to do that, we need to understand how wide the context is. 
context is the entire Bible, <laughs> right? Which means that understanding prophecy cannot be done without understanding all of scripture, right? Or at least having a cursory understanding of themes and imagery and laws and culture. There, there's so much to understanding these prophecies. Um, you cannot just simply, you know, read one book and think you've got it all, right? Or even just one book in the Bible. Um, they all build on each other. God's redemptive history builds. And that was his basic premise throughout this whole, this whole chapter. Um, so there's a quote on page 15 that I think is really good. He says, quote, the way to recover the biblical eschatology must be through an understanding of the biblical story. And he had capitalized the S for those podcast listeners. Instead of trying to fit the Bible into a prearranged pattern, we must try to discover the patterns that are already there. We must allow the Bible's own structure to arise from the text itself, to impose itself upon our own understanding, end quote. So again, that's what we were just talking about, right? But he digs a little bit deeper and he's talking about purely eschatology here, right? It has to be understood through the biblical story in the context. It has to be placed in context. We have to understand what's happening in this world, right? What happened? This is the story we talk about all the time. God created this earth. He placed us on the earth. He gave us specific tasks to do. He said, take dominion over everything. And he said, this earth was good. Okay. We know those things. And then it was corrupted, right? So man was originally created for this earth and the earth was created for the, for man. All of them together were created to glorify God. Yeah. Right. And, but it's this symbiotic relationship between the earth and man, right? Go ahead, Jake. Yeah. And even before the fall, there was dominion. The dominion yes. mandate was, yeah. was yep. right there. It was the first it's thing. Not part of the curse. Yep. Yeah. Not part of the curse for sure. And then sin ruined it, obviously. If we don't, if we miss that first state, we miss everything else because that's the state we're trying to get back to. That's the state God is restoring us back to and restoring the earth back to. And so when we get this misconception of us spending oh, eternal life, we're going to be in heaven for eternity. We misunderstand why, why God created us, where he created us for. He created us for this earth and this earth for us and for all of us, this earth and us to glorify him, right? To what is the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we enjoy him through the things he's given us here on earth, right? So um, if we miss that, we miss a lot of things. And that's just one example, right? Then we can get all of our eschatology out the window. And what does that do if we don't think that this earth is something we should care about? Well, we just shrug it off. We just, you know, there's nothing of permanence. It's all going to get burned up, right? If we have that perspective, then we will fail because that's not the biblical perspective, right? And so we're not working for things of permanence. We're not working to restore this earth because this earth is just going to get burned by fire in the end. So whatevs, right? And that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest contortions and misunderstandings of prophecy. And we would, we would understand it better if we understood the rest of scripture, the beginning, and we read it in context. All right, uh, Jake, you have a quote that you wanted to pull in or should I go to my next quote you, on page? You 16? did cover, you covered that quote. So, Oh shoot. 
I'm so sorry. No, it's all good. It's <laughs> okay. all done now. Did you have any additional thoughts you wanted to bring up on this kind of topic before I move to the next quote? Um, yeah, looking back at that quote, um, I, I thought it's very, very interesting. Um, the fact of reading the Bible that it, the way that it was intended as a story. And, and what, what does that mean for our world? What does that mean for us? Like, stories are good things. Like, we... I think um, there's a there's a movement, or at least in a sense, we call it the Amish movement. That you can't read fantasy books; those are those are um, those are forbidden, or or even stuff like that. Watching movies, movies are in a sense stories. I, obviously, hmm. I'm not saying strictly only watch movies, but you know, there are goods and bads to both, and we can discuss it in a totally different episode. But. Um, <laughs> But the fact of stories being something that God had, God is a storyteller. God um, yeah. created this yep. Bible for us and, and gave us this story and, and gave us biblical examples through it. And it kind of tells us as to how we should write our stories and write them in a way that give examples um, throughout throughout the entire story. But just interesting to think of things like that in a, that's a little bit away from our topic of talking about um, the the, um, the eschatology of victory, but it's it's some another interesting facet as to what what he's saying, this theme that he's bringing up, how it applies to multiple different things than just the eschatology of victory. Yeah, yeah, that's really good, um, and I liked the um, you know you brought up earlier the the point that because it's a story there are parts of it that are symbolic and parts of it that aren't right when we're giving mm -hmm. an illustration to someone we're using symbolic language in addition to literal language right stories poetry all of them are mixed and so on page 16 he talks about that too he was talking about he listed 12 12 separate places in the book of revelation that are accepted as um uh, what's the word? Symb symbolism. There it is. Accepted as symbolism by both premillennialists and postmillennialists, right? We both accept these 12 instances as symbolic. And so for them to say we're purely literal, it's like, well, no, no, you're, you're symbolic too. Um, he said, um, page 16, quote, what we must recognize, however, is that symbols are used throughout the rest of scripture as well right alongside very literal language. This is because the Bible is literature. It is divinely inspired and inerrant literature, but it is literature all the same. This means we must read it as literature. So that was really interesting to me. Um, he kind of continued this on like how we should interpret this literature on page 17. He said, quote, shall our interpretation be biblical or speculative? In other words, when I attempt to understand or explain something in the Bible, should I go to the Bible itself for the answers or should I come up with something creative on my own? End quote. So this was, again, it's a story, but it's inspired. It's an errant. Mm -hmm. This is something we, hopefully we, we hit our audience over the head with, <laughs> right? But this is why we had such a problem with Wolf's book when we were reading through it, because this is why we have such a problem with natural law people, Right. Because we believe in total depravity and we believe in the inerrancy of scripture. 
<laughs> and if you believe those two things, the answer for where you go for all your answers is so obvious. Like the answer is obviously I can't trust myself at all. And if the Bible's inspired and inerrant, and I believe that, and I can't trust myself, then literally the only place left for me to go is the word of God. <laughs> right? And yeah. so that's what he's saying here, right? Should our interpretation of the Bible be speculative? Should we just like get creative, come up with our own ideas, trust ourselves? Or should we look back at the Bible to understand the Bible? Right? Again, this is us realizing and recognizing our own total depravity. We're not trying to like look around and be like, oh, well, it could be that. It could be this. Oh, look, this is happening, you know, out there. There's Apache helicopters. There's this, there's that, right? Oh, this might mean this prophecy, right? We're, we're looking outside and we're trying to do all that's us leaning on our own, our own understanding, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of letting scripture translate scripture, right? Yeah. That's where you get actual, um, you, you, you get to some actual solid ground to stand on when scripture translates scripture, you can actually start to understand it. So, um, page 18, bit of a longer quote. He spent a lot of this chapter, which I really appreciated because this is such an important thing. He spent a huge chunk of this chapter talking about living water and talking about water. He was taking water as an example because mm -hmm. it shows up so often in the Bible. It's a symbol for the Holy Spirit, restoration, and a few other things as well, which he brings up in this chapter. As always, you should get this book and read this chapter yourself, <laughs> right? Um, read all the chapters. Barely scratch the surface. Yeah, read all the chapters. We barely scratch the surface in each of these chapters, but there, there's so much there. We highly encourage you to get the book yourself and read this, but, um, the, the culmination of all of the, um, all the times water is brought up that culminates in Ezekiel 47, which we bring up a lot. We've discussed a lot, but that's the waters flowing from the temple, right? And we believe the temple is us. It's flowing from the church. Um, and the waters restore the world, um, the Holy spirit going forth and the nations come to the river and come to the water to be healed and it leads to the restoration of the world, right? So, but that picture, the readers of Ezekiel would not have been surprised by that language. And when Christ talked to the woman at the well, she wouldn't have been surprised by that language either because that was so common, this language, this idea of living water, right? So on page 18, uh, Chilton said, quote, when Jesus offered water to the woman, he wanted her to think of the multiple imagery connected with water in the Bible. In a general sense, of course, we know that water is associated with the spiritual refreshment and susten sustenance of life, which comes through salvation. But the biblical associations with water are much more complex than that. This is because understanding biblical symbolism does not mean cracking a code. It's much more like reading good poetry. And a little farther down on the page, he said, the prophets did not write in order to create stimulating intellectual exercises. <laughs> They wrote to teach. They wrote in visual, dramatic symbols. And if we, if we would fully understand their message, we must appreciate their vocabulary, end quote. That was really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. What was the purpose of this prophecy? 
right? All of these, all of these prophecies, they were to teach. And so that teaching teach when we teach something, we use illustrations, right? When I'm, when I'm teaching um, music, for instance, like I'm trying to teach my guitar students to let their notes ring out. I use an example of rollers on a self-checkout uh, station. So you know those rollers where you, you slide the packages on them and they like roll and you the uh, groceries slide down them, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, you, have you ever, I know we used to do this as kids, but you would take your hand and you'd like roll on the top of it and yes. try to keep it spinning. Yeah. Right. And then you take your hand off and it's still rolling. Right. So every time you roll on the on the spinner, you're just barely touching it and it's moving and you you don't stop it. Right. Well, I use that illustration when I'm teaching guitar, like keep the string rolling. Don't stop the string with your pick. Keep it rolling. Imagine it's that roller. So every time you play, you just touch the string barely and you keep this keep the string spinning. Right. Think of it like spinning. You're spinning off and spinning on. Right. So I I use illustration. What's that? I didn't think about that, but before (laughs) right and it it changes how you think about playing guitar it changes how Mm -hmm. you think you know like so illustrations really help and that's that's why god used illustrations to teach us the prophecies were these illustrations are these illustrations that teach us things about the world jesus taught in parables same thing right he brought this teaching into the world in a very real way that people could connect with he also used it to hide truths from them because their foolish hearts were darkened, right? And he says that as well. So it goes both ways. <laughs> um, but uh, there were certain buzzwords, and Chilton talked about some of those. Page 19, he said, quote, The Bible uses many of these buzzwords and increases the number of them uh, Yeah, increases the number of them as it goes on. Until, by the time we get to Revelation the capstone of biblical prophecy, they all come rushing toward us at once in a blizzard of associative references, some of which are obvious, some obscure, right? So you're building up all of these, all of these buzzwords, all of the, ooh, living waters, ooh, the temple, ooh, this, ooh, that, ooh, the dragon, oh, you know, you know, all these different things. And they're going to go right over your head. You're going to miss everything. And it's going to be this confusing mess unless you know that these were buzzwords that were used throughout the whole rest of Scripture, all mm-hmm. the way up to Revelation, right? And if you if you are just if you're just sitting there um, trying to just read Revelation without putting in the context of the rest of Scripture, all of those buzzwords that would have meant these people would have understood it, right? Um, just like think about Matthew twenty four. Matthew 24 is one of the easiest to read out of all of the Olivet Discourses, right? You've got Mark 13, you've got um, uh, Mark 13, Luke 18, Matthew 24. Mark 13, Luke 18, they're a little confusing. Matthew, though, was written to the Gentiles. And so Matthew kind of cut out a lot of the confusing um, uh, uh, languages, right? A lot of the... um, things that related to uh, things that the Jews would understand, but we wouldn't understand, right? He cut out a lot of those and spoke in just regular old language that even the Gentiles would understand because that was his audience. Revelation was written to the people who were well-learned in Jewish culture, right? So they were written to 
churches, but it was expected that these churches were steeped in Old Testament culture, New Testament culture, um, synagogues, all of those things. They knew that so well that this language would make sense to them. Go ahead, Jake. I was, I was about to say that, like, what would they, you know, what would they learn it in? You know, that's the point is, is that they were learned in the Old Testament. Like, cause yeah. that's all they had. All of these, mm-hmm. all of these, um, prophets or sorry, um, priests and the Pharisees that what they learned, what they read was the Old Testament. And they were, yeah. everyone was fluent in the Old Testament. You knew exactly what they were talking about to where when Jesus was mentioning the living waters, the, the woman at the well knew exactly what he was saying. Yeah. She didn't at first, but eventually she yeah. was like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. He does a great job of, of breaking all that down. Um, he kind of summed up the whole chapter, this whole chapter, chapter, uh, chapter two on page 20. Um, at the bottom of the page, he, there were like three takeaways. One was read visually. So try to picture what the Bible is saying. Read it visually. There's a visual that should go along with what you're reading, right? Read biblically was the second one. Um, Don't speculate or become abstract. Pay close attention to what the Bible itself says about its own symbols, right? We don't trust our own brains to get the right answer. We trust the Bible to translate the Bible, (laughs) right? We trust that when things are confusing, we probably miss something. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this, that language doesn't make any sense. Well, let's see where else it's being referenced and work from there because that's supposed to be the starting point, right? If we're reading Revelation, we should have read everything else before then so that we actually can understand Revelation. Otherwise, it's this confusing mess. It has all these crazy things and you end up with crazy theologies, <clears throat> I'm not going to say anymore. Um, Then there's the final one, which is. For example. Yeah, exactly. For example. Yeah, you get the picture. Um, The final takeaway of this chapter is read the story. Read the story. Try to think about how each element in the Bible contributes to its message of salvation as a whole. Again, what's the overarching story? How does this all fit together? If somehow you've read the whole Bible, you understand redemptive history, you understand where we're going, you get to Revelation, and it seems like we're all going to get raptured out of here. God's going to burn the whole thing to the ground, and we're going to spend the rest of eternity in heaven. Then it's like, oh boy, I got something way wrong. (laughs) That doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture at all. (laughs) Whoopsies. I better start over. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that should have triggered something in the mid-1800s when they were coming up with these crazy ideas of the rapture and all this stuff. And they should have said, uh, darn it. The rest of scripture doesn't say anything about that. I might be going a little insane. <laughs> let, me, let me back up and um, actually provide some context. <laughs> right? And all of that, again, is we don't trust ourselves. We don't lean on our own understanding. That comes to eschatology, too. We don't trust that we can just, you know, make it up as we go along. But that was one of my earlier quotes, right? Shall we, uh, shall our interpretation of, uh, be biblical or speculative, right? Should our interpretation be based on the rest of the Bible and understanding the Bible through the lens of the Bible? Or should we just get 
creative. That's what Chilton, that's his phrase, right? Speculative. Just like, well, I think it might mean this. Well, I think you should probably just go to the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) I think you should go back to weed. Yeah, right, right. Let's, I think you should go back to the beginning. (laughs) So hopefully this was um, interesting. Um, Shed some light and began to shed some light on some uh, trickier and hard to understand things. Yeah, these are, these are not easy. Right? The book of Revelation is not easy, especially for us. We're not steeped in Jewish culture. We're just not. Unfortunately, we, unfortunately we've lost so much of that, that culture that we've just, we read things that were written to that audience and we think we can understand it, right? Now imagine you, you live in Russia you, or China even. Let's go to China. You have no concept of personal freedom, no concept really of, or North Korea would be the prime example, no concept of personal freedom, no concept of what it means to not live in communism, no concept of what it means to own things, to be free, to live as a human being and to be treated as a human being, right? And then you try to read uh, literature from America. You will draw so many wacko ideas from American literature if you don't understand our culture. Right, it will so be insane. Only, only Israel can read the Bible, I guess. <laughs> Not what I'm saying, but <laughs> yes, thank you for uh, yeah. Should probably qualify. No, not suggesting that. But what I am saying is, we should understand the culture that the Bible, that the Book of Revelation was written to, in order to actually understand the Book of Revelation. So yeah, thanks, Jake. I, yeah, I needed to get to the point. <laughs> so um but yes hopefully this was interesting any final things you wanted to add before we wrap up uh nope nope cool nice well thank you all so so much um for watching listening um again we're not going to see you on friday we will see you on monday we're back to discuss current events once again from a biblical perspective until then have a great rest of your week have a wonderful lord's day and we will see you on monday And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.